Welcome to episode 43 of Texting, your weekly tech podcast, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. Hey, how's Jason. It, how's it going, Justin? Yeah, good, thanks. All right, so it's been two weeks. I hope you got a lot to talk about. So what have you been doing? What have you been thinking about? Um, I've mainly been, uh, well, obviously doing a lot of client work, working for clients, and um, also Swarm, uh, bringing Swarm to the iPad, which is that board game. Right. And um, Swarm's been been coming along nice. Um, I've got the game, uh, I've got to a point where I can publish the game to the iPad via um, Titanium Accelerator, which is great, by the way. Yeah. Um, I know you're using that for your client. I, I definitely recommend that to, to anyone um, wanting to build stuff for the iPad. Now, you're taking Android. a little bit of a different tack than I am, right? Because you're, you're using the web views approach. Yeah, but, yeah, because what I want, I mean, I didn't really have access to the iPad. I didn't have access to any of that stuff, but I was really itching to get started on building the game. So I just started building it in pure JavaScript. Right. And um, as it turns out, I found out that Accelerator makes it really easy to just wrap that up and put it on the iPhone, on the iPad. Now, when you say when you say pure JavaScript, it, you, what you ultimately mean is that you're writing to the DOM, to the uh, to the standard web page DOM, because yeah. AppCellerator supports all the native JavaScript. It's just it's not it's not the difference between JavaScript or not using JavaScript. It's just, just writing to the document object model that you'd expect on a web page. That's what you're doing. Uh, okay, right, right, yeah. So basically, it's. Um so, yeah, so I'm rendering it in a normal web browser, so like I'm rendering it in Safari or Firefox as I'm building it. Right. And um, it's just a standard web page. And then on, with Accelerator, you have this thing called a web view. And with a web view, you can give it some, uh, you can just tell it what your source document is, which is like a local document, just index.html. Right. So I just take all my code, my index.html and my JavaScript libraries, and I basically put them in the Accelerator resources file. Um, and then the accelerator has this one overriding file, basically like their bootstrap file mm-hmm. called app.js. And in that file, I've just got three lines of code, which basically says, you know, uh, create a new web view uh, and load in index.html. That, that's interesting that you're using it that way, because I'm, I'm, writing, I'm, I'm writing directly to sort of the, um, the accelerators, I don't know, application or, I, or a mobile app model. Yeah. So you have things like table views and I, I don't know, whatever their, their whole UI, which is basically, I don't know, wraps up what you'd expect to be the API for the iPhone or Android. I guess they write some kind of abstraction layer, but you can, you can essentially write all the native, do all the native kind of things. And, it, and what Accelerator does is it generates the, uh, the Objective-C. So um, it's interesting because you're, so you're writing the, uh, the web view, which is probably good for, in some instances, like, like you know, what you were doing. So if people say, hey, well, I, 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 you know, I have a bunch of code that renders some web page. Um, you can use that. Or you can do what I'm doing, which is just sort of like effectively building an iPhone app um, as if you're using Objective-C and Cocoa, but without having to learn Objective-C and Cocoa and just using um, JavaScript in the uh, Titanium model, object model. Well, I, I am running into one issue, which is that now I need to start getting that app to interact with the, with all the, the kind of stuff that you're coding, like the main titanium stuff. Right. So um, at the moment, I've just got like the raw game working, but I can't do things like, I don't know, save preferences or all that kind of stuff. So I need to work out some kind of bridge between the web world and the titanium world. Well, I think one of the ways you do that, I, 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 I'm wondering, the way, you, the way you can share data between Windows um, in, uh, in titanium is you fire an event and you just 
pass like an uh, a JSON object with whatever data you want. So I imagine you could probably do something similar like that between your web view and any other window, right? Yeah, I think that's what it is. You create, you basically create a custom event, and then you fire that event from within your um, within your uh, your uh, JS, basically your .js stuff. Yeah, I think, and I'm going to do that. But what I'm going to do is, rather than create multiple of those, I'm just going to create one and use it as a broker, and I'll, I'll kind of work out some brokering system that can that can essentially target Appcelerator. Okay. Now, but one thing I, I've noticed is that you you can't really share uh, global data across Windows. So, uh, or, or JS, or maybe, I, I guess, yeah, through Windows or through um, different uh, uh, JavaScript files that it has to, you have to fire an event. And um, I, I was experimenting with that first. I'm like, wait a minute, you know, <laughs> I set this global variable, shouldn't I have access to it because it's including the file? But it doesn't work, it doesn't work quite that way. You really just have to fire an event. So I was thinking that as part of the JSON of the event that I fire, I will actually send a string that has the accelerator function to call. Okay. And then I'll set I'll send the parameters as also as part of the JSON. Mm -hmm. And then in within the that event gets fired, and then with Titanium it gets that JSON packet, and it basically does an eval on the first argument, which then calls the accelerator function <laughs> probably getting too technical at this well point. you don't have to you don't have to do an eval because it's, it's, it's it, when it comes through the event it's already a json object you don't have to create it you don't have to you don't have to construct a string and then you know can i send an enclosure yeah yeah you can oh, just, cool fine so well I, just... I don't think it, it, it won't map to an instance of the object but you can send a json right. object i mean it's not going to be able to so i can send a function basically. Hmm, yeah, I guess if you get, yeah, I, I, well, you can send a JSON object, and I don't know if a JSON object itself can be a function in this context. I don't know if a kind of function itself will be supported, but, you know, a standard sort of object literal. I've never tried that. I'm just saying, I mean, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Okay, well, it, it definitely would work if I sent a stand, okay, this is the last thing. I know we're getting very technical, but if I sent a standard object literal, mm -hmm. and then it, in the accelerator side of things, I just declare that that as a variable, mm -hmm. and then that will essentially create the instance of the function that I need. So I, I've got it. I know what to do now. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty slick. Um, the whole accelerator model. I have to, I have to say I've I put in about I don't know probably 40, 40, 50 hours of development time now. Okay. And uh, I like it a lot. I mean, there, there occasionally there's a there's a bug you run into, and the documentation is a little um, lacking. But what they do have is they have this, um, you know, a sample application called the kitchen sink, which I right. think they've used to essentially try out and implement every new piece of functionality, every piece of the yeah. API. So you can just kind of go poking through that, either run the app and go and, and try and figure out what behavior it is that you're looking for. <laughs> and then you can sort of easily ascertain or, you know, what the name of the JS file is and go look at it and go, oh, okay, so they're, they're just creating this object. So it's pretty slick. Another thing that's interesting about this that I've, I've run into some interesting little things developing for the iPad um, via the Ajax stuff. And I think it would pr these things would also be relevant if, if I was doing via Titanium. Um, Basically, because what I'm making is a, a board. So it's a board game, and one player goes to the bottom of the screen, another player goes to the top of the screen. And one thing I didn't anticipate is that Apple have got some kind of algorithm going on affecting the mouse position. So essentially, they're expecting you to be looking at it from one side. Right. And as you move the mouse, they're kind of adjusting the, um, 
the perspective that you'll be looking at the mouse so that it makes sense for when you tap the screen that you hit the object you expect. See what I'm saying? So when, yeah. when the person on the other side of the board tries to do it, that algorithm really screws things up. Right. So they, t they tap down, but because they're looking from completely the opposite perspective, what they, you know, the, the, the mouse basically moves to, well, not the mouse, but the touch point is a completely different area than what you expect. It's essentially behind their finger. Right. right. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So I've had to hack, <laughs> I've had to actually hack into the, the mouse positioning hmm. as, you know, depending on which player's using it. Right. Do you, you even own an iPad? Yeah. Okay, because you didn't have one when you started working on it on Swarm? Yeah. Right, okay. So that's, that's so you, you, what, you bought an iPad a couple weeks ago or something? Yeah, it? yeah. I, I bought an iPad, um, I guess, a couple of days after the, after the last show. And um, yeah, no, it's only through using, the, I mean, beforehand, it was a bit difficult to tell what was going on. Um, but then once I got the iPad, like one, another thing is, is that just the pieces themselves, when you, like, I wanted to so that you click on a piece and drag it. And one thing I couldn't have anticipated is that when you click on a piece, it disappears under your finger. So right. you don't know what you're dragging. <laughs> yeah, I think we should back up to here. For, so for anybody who hasn't listened to the past episodes on this topic, uh, Swarm is a game that Justin invented that's sort of, the way I describe it, it's sort of a cross between ch chess, uh, Go, and backgammon. And uh, that's in, just in simple terms. So it's its own. It's a sort of a board game. You capture pieces like in Go. You have different types of pieces like in uh, chess. And you, um, uh, what's, the, what's the other one? So there's chess, Go, and... Um, oh, backgammon. And, and, back, and, and you use dice. And you use dice to... And you can take your pieces off the board in a similar kind of way to backgammon. Exactly. So, right. So um, that's, essentially, that's essentially... So if anyone's wondering what, what the hell it is we're even talking about, <laughs> Justin invented this game, what, like a few years ago, and you just never did anything with it? Beyond, after you invented it and tested it, you never really rolled anything out publicly? Yeah, exactly. And so now the plan is to create an iPad... Uh, application of Swarm and try and get it out in the public sphere that way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. And um, so, uh, as I was just saying, the the obviously you want to be able to drag the pieces around, but because of the size of the board and all that, when you put your map, your finger on it, it basically covers the piece, so it feels like you're dragging nothing. Right. So I had to do another tweak to kind of make the piece kind of expand in size. Right. And, it, and it's also just, you know, working with the interface and the environment that you've got, you know, very carefully tweaking it. Like, essentially, I'd, I'd do a tweak and then I'd install it on the device. And each each iteration of that takes about a minute and a half. Right. So it's quite it's quite slow to make it work exactly as you want. Right. Because you know, also the other kind of thing you need to do is because it's because it's in JavaScript. Like, for example, as you were clicking on the piece, it was also highlighting a array across the board okay. uh, to show you the moves you could make. But what I found out was that that on the iPad, it's kind of not quite so fast, the JavaScript. So I had to do things like set different timeouts so that only one animation thing is happening at a time to all make it move smoothly. And that might be because you're using the web view because it's running JavaScript as opposed to writing the native, you know, having it generate um, the native Objective-C, right? Mm. Because... The stuff that I'm writing, it's all it, JavaScript is not part of the equation once the once the application is created and deployed. I mean, it generates Objective C and compiles that into native, you know, um, whatever native uh, binary for uh, the app for the iPhone. So, what would you use instead of a div then? Oh well, they you you would just uh, they have like a 2D matrix. I haven't done any of the 2D or 3D drawing, so just kind of like you have like. 
I don't know. I mean, it's different for every platform, but in uh, .NET, you have like a, I don't know, like a context that you draw on and you just, you know, whatever. You just draw a line or, or th- th- draw a square or draw a polygon. And, you know, I imagine it's something like that. I've, 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 I've seen it, but I haven't done any sort of drawing, so I can't really tell you. Because what basically the app you're working on is very form-centric and it already has the pieces to add the forms and all that kind of stuff. Whereas the thing I'm working on is very graphic um, intensive. Well, like and, I said, uh, I mean, you know, you just like all these other iPhone apps that are very graphical and aren't, aren't forms or lists or anything, they're not using divs or web views, right? I mean, they are actually draw, using the built-in iPhone um, uh, whatever uh, drawing API. And you could do the same thing. So... I mean, I think it's probably great that you, just to get something up and out there because you were building without the iPad. But if you are running into performance issues, I'm sure you can just go native and, and, and skip the whole uh, web. I think that's something for yeah, that's something for the future. But it's it's it doesn't feel like it's running. I mean, the way that I've done it, it doesn't feel you know unsnappy. It, it feels perfectly snappy and uh, you know responsive. Um, but it just took a little bit of tweaking. That's all. When are you gonna? So how much longer are you gonna work on this before you be able to have a release of it? Um, well, I've just uh, I've just recently um, been involved uh, just uh, in a lot of contract work, and um, actually I was down in, in New Hampshire meeting a client. You were up in uh, New Hampshire. For, uh, sorry, up in New Hampshire. <laughs> we are in the southwest; they're in the northeast, so we're kind of up. <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, so I've been pretty busy uh, working on client stuff. Um, I guess I'm hoping to get something out in the next two weeks. I just need to tie it into the uh, main API sure. and put some training stuff in there. So you're using, you're using my standard estimate, two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> two weeks. Every time my wife asks me something, she's like, so when do you have out oh, two weeks? He's like, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> two weeks just seems like such a long time. It seems like you do anything in two weeks, doesn't it? Yeah. But in fact, you can almost do nothing in two weeks. <laughs> oh, the one other thing, one other thing um, is... It's been great to be able to make use of CSS3 properties because I know this is only going to one deployment uh, target. And I, and I know that WebKit has a lot of CSS3 stuff done. You can't access it via CSS3 selectors, but you can access it using, you know, hyphen WebKit, hyphen whatever. Right. So I've been able to do rounded corners, turn, you know, flip text upside down. All that stuff has been really easy. Right. Without having to do a bunch of uh, fancy uh, JavaScript or image workarounds. Sure. Exactly. So, because I'd done image, I was my first thing was to start off making image workarounds where I basically did a whole alphabet as images and did it upside down as well. Yeah. But then when I realized I could use the CSS3 stuff, it's just been fantastic. Yeah, that would have sucked. Yeah. So, um, I'm, but I have to say, one, one thing I have to say is I, I'm, I'm really excited about being able to build the uh, build an iPhone app. And yeah. You know the 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 project that I'm working on with Mark um, is really coming together, and uh, it's a very sophisticated application. Um, mm. And uh, you know, considering I went from zero, <laughs> no, having never developed an, a mobile app, I've never developed anything for an iPhone, a Mac, or anything, and be able to just take leverage my JavaScript expertise and and then just kind of uh, you know fumbling my way through their API and be able to build something and it's amazing and then to be able to you know because my next app that I build will be you know I'll build build it three five ten times faster because I have all this code to cut and paste right yeah <laughs> I mean, yeah exactly and that's what makes us say you know more efficient developers because it's like everything every time you want to do something it's like you know two-thirds of it you've done before in some form or another you say oh yeah I've done that cut and paste cut and paste cut and paste yeah you know, so yeah, that is great. You've gone from zero to hero. 
Yeah, I don't know if I'm hero yet, but uh, gone from uh, you know nothing to we're actually you know going to get something working and get it out there pretty quickly, and it's it does a whole lot of stuff, and uh, yeah, I, I really can't say enough about titanium. So anybody who's thinking about you know building an iPhone app or, or Android app or experiment or an iPad app and wants to experiment and isn't an expert in Objective C and Cocoa, you know, it, uh, titanium is open source. It is free. But you know the whole um, the whole kind of revenue trickle. Hey, wait, by the way, are we getting a sponsorship from these guys or what? <laughs> this is we ridiculous. Be. You better you better call up Jeff Haney and say you know you know hook us up. <laughs> it's like an infomercial. This is like an infomercial. I feel like we're on QVC or something. I, I would love to have some um, some kind of talk time with him just to to get a few things ironed out a couple of, because there's a couple of issues, but I, I know that they get a lot of support requests and then they've got their, um, their premium packages, but the premium packages are expensive, right? So you have to pay, you have to pay 1200 a year to be able to kind of talk to their developers. Yeah. Which, get, which Mark get, did actually Mark, because, well, here's the deal, right? I mean, we're it's, it's, too, it's kind of, it feels like too much for, I mean, for most people like, I mean, they should have different bands. I think. I think twelve hundred ninety nine a month is just a bit excessive. I don't. I don't agree because I think it's reasonable. You get this very powerful platform that you can use for free, but if you really have to get something answered or you really have to get something done, you need it. You need it addressed immediately. Then and you, then it's a business. And if it's a business, then a couple hundred dollars a month or hundred dollars a month to get these problems out of the way is nothing. I mean, look, you know, Mark and Sam who are funding this little iPhone project that I'm working on. Um, you know, they're, they don't have investment. This is coming out of their pockets. But it was, it was an easy decision for them to make. When, when, when Mark and I are sitting here working on this, this project and it's like the first few days and we're stumbling across things and we're not sure stuff is supported, is it us or is there a bug or whatever, and, and we waste two or three hours. It's like, dude, <laughs> that's stupid. I mean, we could have had this. If we had known the answer to this, we could just file the request and then just moved on and know the next day we would have an answer. Instead, we wasted you know, two or three hours, which goes to paying my hourly fee, which clearly blows away whatever it would cost to have that question answered. It's a not okay, but what? But that, that's fair. That's fair enough in your guys' scenario. But what about my scenario where I'm just taking a? It's just a complete crapshoot. I mean, I, I don't have the funds to to put in an extra twelve hundred. I don't know whether this is going to make any money. I mean, I, I just want to build an app using a tool, right? I yeah. Mean, this, so you want you want to build an app that they spent huge sums of money building. You want to use your tool for free, and you want them to answer your questions for almost nothing. No, no, I don't. No, no, none of those things. I don't. I don't want to do any of that. The, what I want to do is I want um, them to have a cheaper option. I want it to not cost two hundred bucks a month. Some kind of cheaper option, maybe a lower band where you can ask. I don't know, three questions a month or five questions a month or something like that. So that so that you you think very carefully about the questions that you ask, but it doesn't take up too much of their time and it doesn't cost you too much. You know, so so you could bring it down to fifty buck a month or something like that. Maybe you can ask two questions a month or something like that. And then if you ask any more, then you have to pay fifty bucks a pop or something. So break it down into into kind of piecemeal. You know, pay pay as you go, pay for what you need. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's considering the massive increase in productivity. I think what they're doing is really well priced. I mean, if 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 you're trying to build something to make money from and you can't afford you know a couple hundred dollars to in support where you learn this whole new platform, then clearly it's it's not that important to you. But That's it's not a couple hundred dollars. It's twelve hundred. Well, a couple hundred dollars a month, right? I mean, you don't necessarily have to do it for a year. 
Oh, I see. So you can just sign up for a month and then get as much support as you need that yeah, month. Yeah, you know, let's I, say, I let's say, let's say that you know the first two or three months. Let's say even three months, right? You spend three months. You're really your learning curve is steep. You're you're hitting a lot of roadblocks. You know, this platform is new. You so you you know four or five six hundred dollars you spend. I mean, that's nothing really. And 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 anybody who can build an app like this can can make enough money either as a, in a salary or can bill enough as a consultant that they shouldn't be looking at four or five hundred dollars um, as a huge deal because they can, you know, the, the amount of money that they could earn building an iPhone app and charging clients <laughs> and, and being 10 times more productive. It just seems to me to be... Uh, I wasn't, no, yeah, no, you're right. I wasn't really thinking of it as a couple of hundred. I was thinking of it as 1,200. I, I, somehow I thought that there was like a year, a year's lease that you... You signed up. I mean, for no, it. I'd like everything to be cheap too. I mean, I'd like it to be free and everything to be free. But you know, I also understand that I get frustrated sometimes when it seems like that's why it's like I'm always. I, in which you, I've heard me mention a number of times is like, why do I not want to build tools for developers? Because they say things like that. That well, just just to be clear, I haven't said at any point that I wanted something. For oh, free, you said so. it. It's on record. <laughs> I no, I know, I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. But I just, there's still that, oh, there's just always that sort of like, there's just, we, we, we've been sort of trained we've, uh, as to, to, to want or expect things to cost almost, to, to be almost nothing or free, right? And so it's very hard for a company to come out and, and, um, and build a business around uh, tools for developers because it's just, they're, 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 can't make a business out of it. It's just like, screw it, you know? Right. And, um, you know, I think Titanium was delivered. I mean, I'm really happy with what they delivered. And, you know, while it's not perfect and documentation needs to prove and things like that, it's, it's, um, it's amazing. I mean, com- compared to what I would have had to, uh, the amount of time I would have had to have spent. So I don't know. That's again, why I don't really want to target developers because we're, we're, we're a difficult group. We, we, we complain about everything. And we want everything to be free. Right. And we, and if it's not, then we threaten to just, oh, just do it myself, you know? Even if that's sort of an asinine, you know, decision to make, you know, I'll build it myself for in fifty hours rather than paying a hundred dollars for some or a couple hundred dollars for some tool, <laughs> you know. Okay, just changing the subject slightly, I wondered what you thought of um, the Mark Zuckerberg press at the moment, the Facebook press. I don't know. I don't have a whole lot of opinion. Are you talking about the diaspora, like this? That group, that- just just the whole down the whole downturn on Facebook. I mean, it's it's interesting because. Um, this goes back to the whole karma thing. Like he's, you know, the way, the way that you behave towards a lot of people ultimately is going to come back on you one way or another. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's like a whole mountain of, of craps coming down on Zuckerberg and Facebook right now. And I think that, I think that it's, it, it, it's interesting. I'm almost getting the feeling that he's like, it, it's, it's a bit like Madoff. Like it's one of these guys who's managed to get away with murder and get to a billion dollar stake in the game. Mm-hmm. But actually, it was kind of a big mistake. He shouldn't really have got that far, you know. Ah, uh, yeah, you know. I mean, I've definitely read some from stuff that leads me to believe that he screwed over a lot of people. I mean, he settled with some of those people at at Harvard who who did who had. There was a group of guys who approached him to build a prototype version or an initial version of their sort of concept of Facebook or whatever it was at the time. Well, it was called it was called the Facebook. Um, I think they called it something else. 
I think oh, they okay. had a different name for it. I, I may be wrong, but I think they had a different name for it and whatever it was. Um, and he was, he is, they had sort of had a couple of meetings with him about building it. And then he blew them off and kept blowing them off and giving them the runaround. And basically he spent all the time building his own thing. And then he was sending emails to his friend of his who was at another university saying, eh, they screwed up. I'm, I'm just going to. Yeah, yeah, that's I'm just going to lead them on or, you know, and then at the end, I'm just going to say, screw off. I, mine's way better. And then in the end, I guess he screwed over that friend, too. That friend went into business with him with when it was the Facebook and then later on screwed. Oh, him. oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's that friend who went into business with him. And um, but it, but now I've just I've just read in, on the interwebs that um, even before all this was happening, um, there's 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 a film in production about like, you know, like a like a, a kind of documentary style film, right. like an independent film about Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> and basically how him screwing over all of these people. Like they've kind of banded together from college and written this kind of film and just just to show what's happened. Yeah, well, so you know. So that's coming out. You're, you know, it's it's nice when people get their come up, comeuppance. But at the same time, he'll still be incredibly rich and successful. So he screwed over a lot of people and yeah, there'll be a little bit of backlash and people think, oh yeah, he's a, he's a jackass. He screwed these people over. But at the end of the day, he's still going to be extremely wealthy and extremely successful. Do you think is, it's going to have any implication to Facebook? Eh, like, do you think Facebook will lose money? Eh, you know, it's like when everybody got, you know, everybody's like anti-Microsoft for the longest time. It's, they were still multi-billion mega corporation, you know? I think in the end, I don't think it's going to bring them down. I don't think they're, I don't think, I don't think what happened to Friendster and MySpace is going to happen to Facebook anytime soon. I think they've hit a critical mass. It's a slick enough, um, platform that it'll be able to weather the storms of disgruntlement there will be some talking about uh facebook being a slick platform i was reading another blog post that that a guy a guy had basically shown how the the ad targeting software was so precise that he was able to target an ad for his own wife right like just to one just to one person right so she logs onto facebook and in the ad is a picture of her own son saying hey mom That would actually be a good idea to say, I, I don't know, get a job or get attention from certain people who you need to get their get attention from. Let's say you're trying to raise money and there was like, say, a couple dozen VCs that you wanted to talk to. Well, that's exactly exactly what they could, the, the the summary they came up with in the post. And, oh, did they? And people people have already used it to target to get jobs or to you know those exact exact things. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Like it's almost like a great. You know, it's like the perfect spam technique. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, you know, and one of the reasons I think that to go back to your previous question about, you know, is what if there will be any fallout for Facebook? One of the things that Facebook has that I don't think MySpace had or Friendster had is it has the mainstream audience. It has everybody's parents on it. You know, the 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 techno hipsters and, you know, that were on Friendster or sort of the early adopters or sort of the the high school kids who were on MySpace. I mean, those people move on. I mean, it's like, you know, the favorite band or the favorite club. You know, it's it's cool for six months or a couple of years or whatever, but eventually people just kind of move on. Despite the fact that MySpace was, you know, a really ugly platform in comparison, but Facebook has everybody's parents on it. And it was hard enough getting them on in the first place, and now they're on there and they're not going anywhere. Yeah, that's true. That that's what I point. think. I think they have a, there's a lot more stickiness to that because of that very aspect of it their audience yeah i think that's a good that's a good observation actually okay so um tell us a little bit about uh what where you're up to with um app ignite have you had a chance or have you been just totally um consultancy no i out? i you know i've been working i've been working really hard on my and in, cons, in the consulting stuff i mean i'm putting in at least 
I put in at least eight. I bill at least eight hours on a workday. And so billing eight hours means I'm sitting down at my computer for 10, probably. And then I and then I probably bill another four hours on Saturday and four hours on Sunday. So that's a lot of hours that I'm working that I'm, I, that are not even available for Epic Night. But I'm even despite that, I'm still getting about an hour and a half in on the weekdays. And then I usually able to get about five hours in over the weekend. So still making some good progress. Um, you know, one thing we really had to go back and do was... Um, really fill out and finish off the kernel the the real the real engine of it because there's a lot of um object relational management stuff um the orm uh, that was that was working but there were certain instances that it didn't work as well like let's say that you had a many-to-many relationship with your own table like a friends you know like a your user has friends um that's a you can do a many-to-many let's say we have a photo and we have a tag and one photo can have many tags, and one tag can be tagging many photos. You have a many, many relationship there. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Now, it, there's a there, so I, I didn't, I, I hadn't had it working perfectly where it was a many, many to self. So I had to get that working, and then it was like, okay, what if we have multiple many, many relationships between the same two tables? And that's when Guyon came up with, and I'm just like, oh, what? Okay, so what the hell is that? <laughs> like, give me an example of that, right? And so we were sitting there thinking, he's like, okay, let's say that you're uh, on a on a uh, site like GitHub, and you have projects that you are contributor to, and you have projects that you are a um, uh, you know you're in, you have interest in. You're just an observer, right? Right. So you have multiple many relationships between say project and user, and then you have multiple alias names between you know a user and a project, and and anyway, it just gets complicated. So you have to you have all these sort of if you really sh- if you really stretch out the possibilities and look at everything that could happen, you just have to handle a lot more situations than I was initially handling. So I just decided we just need to get this thing ironed out once and for all. Because what happens is with Abignite, you go in and inevitably people want to do like the trickiest stuff right out of the gate. <laughs> and it breaks. Yeah. They're like, wow, okay, so this is a many, many, this, you, know, you just can't, you just have to handle it. So we just decided to go back and, and just get that working completely, make it rock solid because I, did, I didn't want to have to deal with it breaking. And the other thing that's really kind of interesting is, so over the past, as we've been developing this, um, I've been off to the mind of like, let's get it mostly in place, the code. Let's do the 80-20 roll. Let's get it 80% there. It's all kind of working. Yeah, there's some refactoring that should happen. This should be cleaned up. This should be renamed, et cetera. But let's punt on this more complicated stuff. Let's just move, right? Let's just get something up. We can't sit in this sort of, you know, refactor land for like two years, writing stuff. Right pristine code that no one's ever going to use because what's the point but the problem is we got so there was one point it was like this the like i said the many to many join uh with self with their own with uh, a single table or single model i was one step away from that and it just every time i kept trying to put a fix in to make that work it just kept breaking and it was like it was like a hack too far right i was just one hack away but it was one hack too many i was like i turned to god i said look it, it's gonna take more hours to like glue these pieces together than it is just to just sit down spend our next three or four coding sessions and let's just clean this stuff up get it right make it rock solid and easily understandable it's just funny because you know you you kind of want to get that right balance of writing easy to understand really clean refactored code you know but you don't want to waste too much time on it because you want to get something up you know, but if you spend, if you, if you air too much out of them and just get something up, then you have this big ball of spaghetti, big mud ball that you can't even understand. And then when there's a bug and way too much time 
fixing bugs because you don't even understand your own code base because it's too complicated. So, so in terms of um, the the kind of biz dev stuff and when you're bringing it back to the users and trying to get more people to use it again, where where are you at with that kind of thing? Uh, you know, I'll probably use a two week <laughs> estimate. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you've you've gone. You don't want people to use it for the moment. You're still. Essentially, the we're still kind of moving towards a more official soft launch. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I just you know I, I let that first ten or twelve people in, and it kind of broke on everybody in about yeah. the same three or four ways. And those things, the way it broke was sort of um, there were symptoms of this underlying problem that I'm describing, which is like these complex yeah. relationships. And I just needed to get that stuff ironed out because that's the foundation. That's a that's okay. the foundation. If you get the foundation solid and, and you know get that code really tight and well tested, then you can build on top of it really well. And if it's not, then you spend way too much time hunting down bugs. And I just didn't want to spend any more time hunting down bugs, especially if people were depending on this and it breaks and then I can't put a fix in by the next day. I'm like three or four days. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I mean, that's a bad situation to be in. And Mark has built the whole um, web version of, of, this, of this iPhone app. You know, there's a website, a corresponding website. It's a very pretty complex uh, data model. Lots yeah. of pages, lots of forms, lots of relationships. And he really needed the, the many-to-many um, uh, model, sort of a, a reflexive relationship to work right. And so I just like, you know, we have to get this fixed now. I mean, Mark is just sitting here and because he's a client of mine and I'm trying to get this stuff built for him, uh, from the iPhone and it's ultimately going to depend on this data model, but we can't get it working. It's kind of holding that up. So there's another, yeah. just get it working. And, um, but yeah, I just, I just, you just don't want to use, it's just a very frustrating experience when people log in and stuff just kind of breaks. It's just sort of stupid. You know, like what's the point if you, what, why would I ask them to log in if, if I think it's a pretty good chance this thing's just going to break on them? Okay. Yeah. No, that makes sense. You know, I don't want to waste anyone's time and uh, I don't want to waste time spending lots of emails explaining to why things are broken. <laughs> I'd rather just fix it, you know, before we can get to that point. So... So that's the status on uh, on uh, App Ignite, but uh, yeah, I'm super excited. I'm still very excited about it. You know, I, sp I work on it every day. I think about it constantly. In fact, I get kind of frustrated because you know I have to spend too much time doing this client work, and I'm just like, oh, I just want to work on App Ignite. You know, I don't want to do this other stuff. Yeah, that's that's very frustrating. Yeah. Um, are you working on? I know. How are you managing that? Are you putting any time into Plugio? I mean, you keep talking about Swarm, but I'm not hearing anything about Plugio. <laughs> Um, I, I haven't been putting a lot of, t I've kind of got Plugio up to the point where it's, it's kind of looking after itself other than when Rackspace or Twitter kind of goes down. So occasionally people will contact me and say, look, it's, it's acting really slow, but it, it, because it's very feature rich and it does what it does, what it does, um, it, it's quite acceptable for the users of that system right now. So let's say it's off the boil in terms of me developing on it, um, just for the moment while I work on the client stuff and while I work on so on, but I'm really mainly focusing on client stuff right now, okay. um, because they've they've got a major a major push, and we've got to try and get stuff out the door. Oh, you got to make um, you got to make a living, right? Yeah, I mean exactly. You got to make I, a living. You know, I I mean that's that's one of the reasons I'm doing this client work. I mean, one is that the clients, you know, they they need the work done, and and you know, as a professional, you have to you know get you, take care of your clients, but. You know, it's the thing is that if you work really hard for a while, you can start, you know, saving them some money and actually build, you can act, you're actually buying yourself some time in the future. Assuming you just don't go out and spend it all, right? 
you build you build sort of a, a, a financial base and it's like okay so if I work if I kind of focus on making sure that I'm building enough hours I'm getting enough work done for three to six months then you know maybe for the fall the six months after that I don't have to push quite as hard I can free up an extra hour to a day Okay, just to switch topics for a second, um, going to some of the comments that came in for last week's show. Um, one of the Neville uh, commented something, and he said um, a few episodes ago, ago, you guys were discussing the the value of VC funding versus shoestring funding, mm-hmm. and um, he quoted. He said he asked our opinion on on this uh, Spolsky quote, right. and then he posts up the the Spolsky quote, and basically uh, Joel is saying. The whole point of VC is to defer thinking about profit until a large number of people are getting value out of the site, after which it should be easy to find ways to monetize the benefit both sides. Right. Things like stackoverflow.com. Right. So uh, any thoughts on that? Well, yeah, you know, I think he's right. I think that's, that statement is probably right. If you, don't, if you want to defer thinking about the business model, which means it's probably a consumer play. You know, if you're if you're building it, uh, you know, to businesses, I mean, you don't have to do that. It's not about eyeballs. It's not about advertising. It's about you know just finding, creating some value that some business feels is is either going to save them money or help them make money, and they're willing to pay for. So, if you're building a consumer um, facing company or or whatever consumer based revenue model, I think you're more in that you're more often in that boat where it's just about eyeballs, creating a marketplace like an eBay or creating a social network or I don't know whatever. Um, it's funny because I, I kind of think that's the old the old way of viewing VCs because, um, I mean, having been in front of a fair number of VCs with MASH API, the, the overriding thing that, got, that was said to me again and again and again is you need to build this up to a point of having customers and profit <laughs> and then we'll think about investing in you. That's the new... You yeah, know, the new requirement. You know, I, I I agree with that too, and that's funny because I've I've brought that up a number of times with some people I've I've, I've had conversations with, which is yeah, the reason if a company if a VC can say, look, they have they have a ton of different options in front of them, right? They talk to any number of um, entrepreneurs on a daily basis, right? And some percentage of them will have not only a working um, you know product or service or website. But they will actually have paying customers. So you have you have you know in chair A you have a guy sitting there and he has a, a he has an idea and a, a business plan, right? In chair B you have a guy who has a prototype, but not many users. In in, in chair when in chair C you got a, a guy who's got a working version with a ton of users, and in in, in chair D you got all that plus a paying user base. Well, you know which one are you going to think harder about actually investing in? Well, what you want to do as a, as an investor thinking rationally is take as much risk off the table. You know, you want a sure thing as much as possible. As much as they say, talk about risk, really what they're doing is, about taking risk, really what they want to do is, is, is ride something in where they understand the money-making function. And the reality is nowadays, there are a lot of companies, there are a lot of entrepreneurs who have the ability to go from idea to a paying user base, even if it's not a huge revenue stream, without with little to no funding. They're only self-funded or family and friends or whatever before they get in front of the VCs. And those are going to have an advantage because there's so much less risk on the table for the VC. So here, where Joel is saying the whole point of VC is to defer thinking about profit until a large number of people are getting value out of the site. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know if that necessarily fits with the chair D analogy. To me, what's go, what in the chair D analogy? You know, you guys are make you're making money, you're making profits, but it's just it isn't. Um, you don't have enough money to scale. Is the issue? Yeah. So well, you the, take yeah, on VC funding to scale. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. So, so 
you know, that's just one sort of the, what I was describing is just sort of one um, aspect of their thinking. The other is like, well, how big can this get, right? Like, so if there's some company that has a niche, like, oh yeah, we got you know 100 paying customers, and if they're like, well, we have a hard time seeing you getting past you know 5,000, so that's not going to move our needle. Right. I mean, these VCs, uh, they have billion dollar funds. You know, they need to, to move the needle to see a return for, for their for their investors, for their for their limited partners to see a return. They have to have these, you know, 100 X returns and things like that. So they're not interested in a 2X or 5X or 10X return. And they're not interested in these little niche products that, you know, are, 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 are companies that really aren't going to grow into anything major. That's not doesn't fit with their business model. So if they see something that can go major, they say, OK, well, at the very least, you're at you're in share C. You don't have any revenue, but you've got a user base, and we see a potential for that user base to increase a thousand or ten thousand fold. You know, in which case we can see all kind of major things happening with it. So, and I think uh, Stack Overflow to some degree falls under that model. But I wonder also too, which is kind of brings up a topic I want to talk about, which is kind of the concept of escaping the geek ghetto. <laughs> it's like, how do you get out of the geek ghetto? You know, how do you? Okay, what's the geek ghetto? The geek ghetto is, you know, you 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 get that first hundred thousand or half a million uh, users, but they're all in the Bay Area and they all work for tech companies, or they uh, they're kind of in they're really that early adopter, you know, technophile. They're early adopter technophiles, right? Ooh, is this cool new technology? But it's not mainstream. Mainstream people don't see a value in it. They're not using. It. How do you cross that chasm and get to that group? Wow, I mean, do, who gets to half a million users? I mean, that's, that's, you're talking about 1% of, of yeah. companies. Well, I'm thinking something like, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm not sure what the number is, but like, you know, use something like Foursquare, right? This check-in stuff. Like, at what point is that going to go out to, the, to where people in Kansas City and Orlando and wherever are going to be checking in places? Or is it just people in San Francisco and Santa Monica and, you know, whatever, you know, people... Yeah, Yelp's a good example who've who've done this. Um, maybe it's a different example because because they are actually about local. But Yelp, that's exactly what they did. They they grew in San Francisco, and it was all kind of word of mouth on the street of San Francisco. And then essentially they picked another city and they moved people into that city, and they just kind of repeated repeated the marketing techniques that they used in San Francisco. Yeah. So I, I yeah, it's like you know. So it's not that it's not possible. I just think it's a, it's always a challenge. You know, it's like you get, you, you know, how do you get it? How do you escape the ghetto? Because it's kind of like you need escape velocity. It's like escaping the gravity of that sort of the, of the geek verse, you know, the people who are blogging about it and talking about how do you get beyond that? And I, I think a lot of companies have a hard time, you know, scaling past that. They just, they never really pique the interest of the mainstream audience. They're never going to grow but beyond I mean, the thing is... It- it, to be taken to be taken up by the geek ghetto in the first place is a huge validation of your product, because in many ways they're one of the hardest audiences to please. Well, I don't know. I'd be interested. That's an interesting statement. Okay, yeah. No, first of all, right, getting anyone to use your product is you know going from zero to oh, hey, I have five thousand people who care about it. That's huge, right? Because <laughs> because before that, there nobody cared about it, and then getting to the point where you're saturating the geek market. The geek market loves it, but. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people, sort of the early adopters, they really the reason that early adopters is that they're willing to try and experiment with things, but they move on to the next thing. The same reason like Friendster stuff died. You, you want to switch topics? I got a, another. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So I it was about, it was about a week ago, maybe two weeks ago. I was um, I, ch- I saw on Hacker News. I got home from the gym and I was just sitting there checking. We have a little Mac laptop sitting on our counter, and I was just 
checking things for a second and i saw something called like build you know build application web apps without coding and i was like oh crap you know, because for anyone who's not listening, that's essentially what App Ignite is is is, is going to give people the ability to put together sophisticated web applications without having to code. And um, so I saw this, and I was like, "Oh man, you know, like just my luck that there'd be some something else out coming out that's very similar, that's really good, and that's just gonna, you know, suck some air out of the room." And I went and I looked at it. And it was exact. They made, in my opinion, they made the exact same mistakes that Coghead made when they were in Coghead. Came out and their goal was, you know, the same thing. You know, code without building web apps without coding. Except what they did, they built their whole thing on like on the Flex platform. So everything was like a Flash interface, which was really. And I, I thought it was a mistake. Well, they've they've lost right there. That's the end of the game. Yeah. Well, they ultimately went out of business. They had like twenty or thirty or some huge a million in, in VC funding, and they had some big shot, gray-haired CEO, and all this stuff. And you know, the two mistakes I think they made: one, flash or flex, flex UI. But the second thing was all like, you know, flow diagram, like drag and drop modules and stuff, which is still like, you know, hard to even understand what the hell's going on. Right. Well, I drag this box and I drag this error to this other loop, and then this I drag an error points to this, you know, conditional. Yeah. I mean, it's like I might as well write code. How is that even easier than coding? It's just complicated in a different way. And I immediately when I saw Coghead, here's kind of interesting. So when I was demoing Prezo at the um, this is 2006 Office 2.0 conference. This is right, sort of near the beginning of the big Web 2.0 Ajax push. Yeah, and I saw Coghead. I was immediately like, "Crap!" Because ultimately, I knew that's that's the problem I wanted to solve. And I'm like, "I'm working on Prezone. Really, what I want to work on is uh, is something like that." And but then when I saw it and I took a look at their app, I'm like, "Yeah, this isn't gonna work." And sure enough, they went out of business like I don't know a year and a half or two years later. Mm-hmm. Um, so I look at this this other project called Codeless. I think it was Codeless.org, and I looked at it. And first thing I I kind of read the comments on Hacker News, and these guys were ripping it apart. And they're like, you know, every, the, the basic comment was like, how is this easy? This is, I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing. And then I started feeling kind of bad for the guy. I'm like, oh, geez, this is kind of rough, you know, because it clearly is probably some difficult coding. It's, 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 a, it is a, it's a good idea. I mean, it's a clever to try and do stuff like that. But immediately you get in, you're like, I don't really understand what I'm supposed to be doing here. Like, I, oh, because basically, I think you just had screenshots for the most part, and you had to like sign up and pay before you could even use it or something like that, which is, I think, a mistake as well. Yeah, yeah, that is a mistake, definitely. But it was just funny, you know. You, you, you. What's it called? Code list. Code list. I think it was codelist.org is what I what it was, I think. And you know, I'm sure the guy's really bright. I'm sure he wrote some great code. And trying to solve the problem is it's hard i mean a lot of people have tried to solve it in very similar ways using you know these drag and drop flow diagramming stuff but i I think it's just way too complicated i think what you really want you know which is what i'm trying to do which is like a wizard based thing for the most part where you're sitting down and you're going through you're answering questions and you're you're filling in simple properties um simple forms and it's basically building it out for you um but um yeah so that's that was funny. So, but there's two things about it that were interesting. One is that whole thing when you're building something, you're always very aware of of any potential competition, and that any put any new potential competition kind of freaks you out and makes you stressed. I love the way that they say on step three of their of the codeless little page. Step three says 
Hello world, codeless is so easy. But then when you look at step two, it's this incredibly complicated diagram. <laughs> it's like, fuck, I've got no... Oh, I'm going to have to edit that out. It's like, wow, I've got no idea what the hell that is doing. How does that produce hello world? <laughs> It's so complicated. Yeah, you know, it's great. Well, there's one comment on Hacker News, which is hilarious. The guy goes, because somewhere somewhere in the uh, on the front page of the site, the guy says, uh, you know, intuitive user interface. Yeah. <laughs> and this one comment goes, the only intuitive user interface in life is the nipple. Everything else is learned. <laughs> <laughs> That was funny. Which, by the way, the nipple isn't even intuitive because if you've, uh, if, um, you know, most new mothers have a very hard time getting their babies to breastfeed. They have to, they have to like, you know, uh, which is funny because you think that babies just immediately breastfeed. And this is like this very natural thing. Like the first few days or a week or two of breastfeeding for babies is a, is a really frustrating process for new mothers. Like they give, you know, like when you're, when you, what happens to when, when, when people, when couples get pregnant and they're, and they're getting ready and, and what they'll do is they'll sign up for classes at the hospital, like first aid and and there's like a and little moths and stuff like that. Well, one of the classes, which is probably the most one of the most useful, is the breastfeeding class that the mothers go to. So even the nipple is not. <laughs> I'll have to make a point. Of you'll going see to that when class. you guys have kids. You'll see it's not like <laughs> you're. You know, Georgie's going to be. You know, complaining it's painful and it's not working. The baby won't latch on and da da da. You know, and and the most useful thing is to take one of the breastfeeding classes because a lot of techniques to get the baby to sort of figure out what's going on. <laughs> So even the nipple is not intuitive. Codeless hasn't launched. It says, email me when Codeless launches. Yeah, I think he's kind of just collecting emails and stuff. But so, so you're saying that people will have to pay? I th at, least, at least when it came out, it was, it, that's, that's what the impression I got. And that's what some of the people were complaining about on Hacker News. They're like, yeah, that's not a good idea. Like how they can oh, experiment. How do I get a beta account? You pre-order with a PayPal link for 65 bucks. Yeah. Like, give me a oh, that's nuts. That's not going to work. That, that is crazy. I mean, people are not going to pay for something they can't have a chance to experiment with a little bit and try out and see if it works for them. You want to get people addicted. Well, the thing is, uh, like, something that we discovered with the MASH API is people aren't going to pay for uh, development tools. <laughs> but essentially, that's just not the way programmers work. As we've as we've discussed, we just, discussed. just like ten minutes ago, yeah. ten minutes ago. Yeah, it's gotta it's gotta it's gotta be easy enough that it's not basically what you want is not a tool you want a solution. Well, d developers developers essentially end up as your channel. You you need to if you're building a tool like this, you make it so that developers are the channel through to the people who are going to pay, and essentially the people who are going to pay are the people who own the end product. So somehow you need to work that out that you are monetizing via the developers well the way i the way i see that will happen partially and the way i imagine it is that for app ignite anyway you would be you know in these small or mid-sized companies or whatever you have you know these different people who need some app they probably go to the it guys or coders like oh can you just build me this app that does blah 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 we just need to track this information and whatever and the, and the it guy is going to roll his eyes because he's like five projects behind already and he's like look you know what just <laughs> look i read about this thing app ignite you know just just try and go set something up and i'll help you out after that <laughs> and then the yeah. person get started and go oh and then and then the developer will kind of play with him a little bit and go yeah this actually does work pretty well and then and they're actually hooked in that they can write a few custom code pieces of custom code that they need you know, that's kind of one of the scenarios that I kind of imagine. Yeah. Um, you know, but again, I could be completely wrong. Um, so let's see, what do we got next? Uh, you go. 
Um, you know, it's kind of interesting. I saw a, uh, an R, I, I think pop up on Hacker News. I, I guess it was on, Kate was on Stack Overflow where some programmer had just graduated with a CS degree and, and it was actually this female coder and she felt like she still didn't know how to program. She's like, I don't, I feel like I don't really even know how to write any code. I don't really know what's going on. I know all I know how to do is maybe glue together some code. And well, you don't until you've actually worked in a, in a company and created a lot of production ready code. Right. And, and, and the advice was, well, people first of all were saying, look, don't get, don't get discouraged. <laughs> it can sometimes take months to find, find a job. And because, you know, a lot of these, you know, she couldn't, she was having a hard time getting a job place like IBM or whatever, which of course it's always going to be hard to get a job at a first tier place probably. Um, but what people were saying, which was right, which is that, you know, pick a project of your own that you want to work on and just build something. Yeah. Right. Because in, and I would almost say, you know, if I was talking to someone who wanted to learn how to code and trying to get an edge in is don't build something that's very typical. Like, don't go just say, well, I'm just going to build some standard um, app or a piece of software that a lot of people build. Go build something that's kind of new. Right. Go build something like a, uh, you know, I don't know, an, a, some kind of cool Android app because Android's new. There's not a lot of whole a lot of it's not a whole lot of Android developers out there. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, you know. So if you went out and you and you said, "All right, while I'm looking for a job for the next few months, I'm just going to spend a, a, lot, a good percentage of my off time just studying the uh, um, the Android API, building some Android apps, and blogging about what I'm learning, and writing little tutorials about how to do stuff, about how to build Android apps, or maybe building like an app on top of MongoDB or something. Become build and write a series of tutorials and write some sample apps on MongoDB. So any company that's looking for Mon MongoDB developers is going to be like, oh, here's this person writing all this stuff about it. I would have thought Titanium would be a great tool to learn to and and to effectively publish to four platforms, including uh, and yeah, including the desktop. You know, with yeah. that tool. Yeah, well, it's it's like the yeah and, and yeah. So you know, Titanium using some cool new tool that not a lot of people know that that can create a lot of um, leverage, a, a lot of efficiency. So, for, but the idea of picking a niche, it's just like companies that start up. You want to pick a niche and 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 own that niche. So if you're a new developer. Pick a niche. Become an expert in something that's relatively new that there aren't a lot of people who are experts in yet. That, that's up and yeah, coming. Yeah, but you also want to make, like, somehow you need to have some sense of um, determining if the niche is something that's going to stick around because there's a, there's a hell of a lot of niches that don't go anywhere. Okay, iPads. Become an iPad developer. Go in, in right? I mean, you just gave a whole big thing on how you think it's a huge deal, you know, and you're probably right. P iPads are going to be a big deal. You know, you know, go and, and, and build a, a series of start and build your first iPad app and build another one and, and write some articles on how you did it in tutorials. And the next thing you know, someone who's building that is going to want to talk to you. I think that's really good advice. I've, uh, I've got no, um, nothing to say other than, yeah, that's good. <laughs> okay, great. Moving on. <laughs> oh, here's something that's interesting. There's a new blog post that came out called What's Different About the New Google Docs? And you know what they did? But they 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 started off talking. They started the article talking about how the problem with text editing um, in the browser is that the browser takes over the text editing with like content editable, yeah, design mode depending on which browser you're using, and they intercept. They they deal with the keystrokes and the selecting and the you know everything. You don't really do anything. Um, to, in terms of manipulating what the content looks like, but what you can do is try and step into the uh, the the um, the text into the DOM after the 
after the editing operations have taken place and try and override them, you know, change styles or do things because it ends up not doing things often the way you want them. Yeah. So what they said in order to overcome all that and be able to do tabs and bullets and all this kind of stuff, which is exactly what I did with Prezo back, you know, four years ago, which is intercepting all the keystrokes and mouse strokes and building your own editor straight out of the layout engine and doing everything from scratch. This is, like I said, what I did. So I was like, isn't that interesting? Yeah. Well, I just, that's interesting. Um, there's, a, there's a blog post that I just saw. Um, let me just see. I can't find it. I think, it, oh yeah, here we go. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think what it is is it's a way to hack Google Chrome with CNC++. Mm-hmm. So basically you can, you can write plugins directly in that language. And that, that could kind of help with this kind of app. I suppose it's a pain in the butt that you have to download a plugin. Yeah, that's not going to work. I mean, that's that's not the solution for this. I mean, this is the kind of solution for that needs to be for everyone who uses the app. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, see, the correct re- the, the response I was looking for was, Jason, you were ahead of your time. Oh, okay. <laughs> you beat cool Google by three to four years. Well, I, I sort of using Google. I used Google uh, spreadsheet, and to me, the it's just terrible. I mean. Just the, the, the interface and, like, you know, we're always saying, oh, look, light, you know, light apps are going to be the way of the future. Well, I don't know whether you've tried Google Spreadsheet, but it's really, really bad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just, just compared to Excel. I mean, I guess, I guess yeah. the spreadsheet thing is going to be really difficult to write where all of the different cells can be inserted and the whole dragging over the cells. But it just doesn't feel very fluid at all, and I guess they probably know that. Yeah, no, it... Um it, it is. It's very limited. I mean, if you're doing really simple stuff, you don't have a lot of data. It's okay. But and if you really, it's more rather than if if the if the object of what you're trying to do is not a a complex financial model or something, and it's something that's a little simpler, and it's something you're going to share with multiple people quite a bit, then yeah, it will work fine. But I found it to be really slow and sluggish whenever I was trying to use any significant amount of data. Yeah, but you know, I don't use it regularly, so maybe this has changed in the last three to six months. I mean, I don't because I had tried it for a number of different things, and I and I and, and usually I would give up. I like ask her, does Excel this isn't working? You know, but um, anyway, I, just well, I, was, I wanted to use it on the. I wanted to use it so that I wouldn't need to install Open Office on the Mac, right. and um, just so that I could just use web stuff. And I tried to do some things, you know, invoicing or whatever, and it just didn't. It didn't compare to like native spreadsheet software. No. No, and uh, I wouldn't. Uh, I would. Uh, and do you, do you think that's because of the kind of DOM stuff we're talking about? No, or? it's everything to do with that. The well, what, what is it? Why is it slow? I mean, I don't know. It's just uh, I don't know. I guess there's a lot has to go on when you're doing um, when you're coding in Excel and you're manipulating cells and doing all this kind of stuff. I guess there's a lot of stuff that needs to happen, and and I think JavaScript just probably is not quite up to it yet. Um, but it doesn't have to do with the text editing, you know, as such. As I'm t- what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is when you're editing a rich text, uh, you know, formatted text that you have to do all kind of complex styles and indention and, and everything. You just can't control that using the built-in design mode. Now, with when you're doing the editing in a, in, uh, in a spreadsheet, the the, the formatting is contained to an individual cell one at a time when you're actually doing the editing process. Um, and that's just like a text box that they just throw over a text box over that cell. And, they, and, then, and then 
you know, when you're editing it, it's whatever style you have set. And then if you select a whole bunch of cells and say, okay, make this all bold and green and right aligned and whatever, you know, it, it's not text. It's not editing text while you're doing that. It's just setting the styles of those, you know, divs or whatever. I guess the reason why it's slow is because they've got so many, uh, you know, components, so many things on the page, all probably with events attached to them. So you've got like a hundred cells. Each one of them has multiple events. Right. Um, well, I know. I, I know that. Uh, I know that one of the things that they had. Um, uh, trouble with or, or not one of the things that they did which is that every time you perform like a calculation it goes back to the server it is not client side oh. and i remember talking to jonathan rochelle who was the um product manager uh for google docs and he his company was the first company that was purchased when building the off the google docs office mm, suite right um yeah. he uh you know, he, they, his company was the spreadsheet company, and he, he talked about how everything went back to the server for all the, all the financial operations. At least it was in 2006, when we, in 2007, when we spoke about it. Um, and he said that some of the companies, I think they bought one of the companies that was like a, a web, web spreadsheet, like NumSum, or maybe it wasn't NumSum, it was one of the other ones. And he said they ran into problems because they were trying to do the calculations client-side. So I think you probably have you know, roadblocks either way, <laughs> you know, limitations that you can do. Um, but I think some of the slowness might come from hitting, having to hit the server to perform your calculations. Uh, so uh, another topic I wanted to talk to you about was the iPad. Um, having had one for a couple of weeks now, okay. I just wanted to, to, to tell you a little bit about the experience with it. I'm surprised, I mean, to, I just got it to develop Swarm because I just wanted to put Swarm on it. But after a few weeks, I kind of... It's it's like the thing that I didn't know that I needed. <laughs> right. The, it, it, there's just something very very cool about being able to pick up this little thing and read Hacker News and do the email. So really, what what where I use the iPad is kind of first thing in the morning and last thing at night. So you know where you'd print out your little list and you'd you'd read through those documents. Right. In bed, like the iPad is kind of, I would say, better for that exact purpose. Because you can see the actual articles and then you can link through and it's just so easy. But how is, so it, easy how is it up. reading it like it's, it's not e-paper though, so it's just like a regular computer screen. So it's like one problem is like reading a lot of text on a computer screen is kind of strains your eyes and you read at a much slower pace. I can't, I can't explain, but it just, it's better. It's a better screen. It's a better resolution. It, it doesn't strain your eyes in the slightest. And in fact, because it's just so bright and crisp, it's very, very good display. That it just feels very it's it's much easier to read than a screen than a normal screen than my screen right you know that's interesting. and that's kind of another reason that i use it and i and so it's not just me though because i've i've met um i've been, been speaking to a few people about it who've, who've had the ipads and they've all experienced the same thing it's like it's painful to sit down at the computer and do that kind of work now you just wouldn't do it right because essentially it's uncomfortable to sit in the chair and look at and look at the screen and hold the keyboard and the mouse compared to sitting at the, at the table eating your breakfast. Or sitting, in, or sitting on the couch or sitting in bed. Or sitting on the couch, yeah, exactly. Right. It's just very, very accessible. Right. And um, it's it just email, general email and general web, I'm just doing the iPad. Right, now. right. And I, I actually recommend it for you. I think it would be perfect for you. Yeah, um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that because uh, my wife, Sandy, she... Um, she loves the Nook. I got her the Nook for Christmas. 
and the Nook serves a similar pro- um, purpose for her in the sense that she reads probably two books a week on that, which she couldn't do before because, um, you know, we have um, three little kids, two of them which are home most of the time because they're still only two and three. And, the you know, my son is in kindergarten, so um, she usually has two, but still it's hard to do anything with two little kids around. Um, and, but with the Nook, she can sit on the couch with one hand kind of holding it and be kind of reading it while she's interacting with kids or she's got like three minutes when the kids are sort of entertaining themselves before they ask for, you know, whatever it is they need next, some juice, you know, something to eat. Because <laughs> you constantly interrupt with little kids. But the fact that she has, you know, you can read the Nook with holding one hand, which is probably just like the iPad. You can, you don't have to use two hands to hold open a book or you don't have to sit down at a computer somewhere. You can just be literally sitting on the couch. You do have to, re- it's because it's, it's one, it's 1.5 pounds. You do have to rest it on the table. It's a little bit too much to just hold. No, yeah, cause a nook I think is lighter than that. The nook. Yeah. It's, it's not quite light enough for that purpose, but that kind of brings me to another point, which is, I think the reason why it's heavy is because of the batteries. I like another thing that it's just great for is for watching, um, movies, uh, like a, movies or, or, or TV shows. And it's really easy to buy the, buy the whole episode, you know, the whole series from uh, iTunes and it just kind of downloads downloads the device and it does it pretty quick through broadband and for example before i went to new hampshire and i had like a connecting flight it's like an eight hour journey mm-hmm. um i bought the whole of the uh, season one of breaking bad mm-hmm. which by the way is a fantastic series you would really love it yeah i've heard good things um, about it uh, so but watch it from episode one because you have to do that to see the transformation of his character but right. anyway so i had like uh, i had essentially eight hours worth of video and what i never would have expected is that the the battery completely lasted for that eight hours watching video. Right. Which is like, wow, you know, the whole the whole trip I was able to watch and the trip just kind of went by and I was just kind of addicted to this show over that trip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well... Uh, so, so that's pretty impressive as well, you know? Yeah, I think I'm going to... I think I'm probably going to buy um, Sandy an iPad for her birthday in July to, you know augment her her addiction to these little devices i mean she are- oh she will love it the, but the bookstore is really not and the, the the other difference is because it's not e-ink like um when they when you have books you can get picture books for kids mm-hmm. and they they're just in full color and they've got moving parts i mean it's fantastic you know it's, re- it's really interactive yeah. the kids books are amazing on it yeah yeah um yeah, but they look they look pretty slick. I think I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, you know, Sandy's kind of I call her gadget girl because she just loves technology. She's she's she really she she's pretty up on technology stuff, and she's always teasing me because I'm I'm kind of a luddite in some ways. Like I don't really care. She's like, why do you just buy the book on the Nook? I'm like, I don't know. I just want to read the normal book. She's just like, ah, you know, or you know, on the phone. I still have like a clamshell phone. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. I've seen like, that that old piece of junk. <laughs> it's like I love it. This look like the communicators from Star Trek. You know, uh, you flip it open. I still think these are the coolest. But um, she just she's always making fun of me for that. So, but I, I'll probably get it for her because I think you know w- when you're busy, when you have a lot of things going on, sometimes you can't sit down at the computer too easily. But you still have a lot of stuff you want to get done, and that works for her. The other yeah, the other nice thing is there's like. There's an app called Adobe Ideas, which is just like a, a, a you know a blank sheet of paper, and then you can just draw on it and sketch out different concepts and different ideas, which has been even useful for me in interface design over the last couple of weeks. Right. I I got another one. I had another one for you. Another topic. This is a couple of weeks old. But I meant to bring it up, but I forgot to. In our previous podcast, is called "Your Office Chair Is Killing You," <laughs> and it's funny because I just 
it's basically what the topic is that there have been some studies that just came out that apparently when you sit down in a chair that there are certain enzymes that are released or not released rather that um, keep your body from metabolizing fat in your bloodstream or something like cholesterol. Like for instance, when you're, when you are standing up or walking around the fact that the that the certain core muscles that keep your back up uh, upright and keep you in standing, those activate um, your this this uh, production of a certain enzyme. And then when you just sit down and the and the and the chair is just you know keeping your weight in place, you do not um, produce this enzyme. And and even going and working out. So if you sit in a coffee chair eight hours a day, even if you go and you know run a marathon or whatever that day, it still doesn't change the fact that this enzyme was not. Um, being produced and it help, and it basically increases your body fat and and bad cholesterol and things like that and yeah it's called your office chair is killing you is the article so it's worth looking up and it's funny because just a couple weeks earlier I read another article about I think it was the New York Times or something and it was about this guy who had had a bad back because he had been in a car wreck at one point and he you know I think he was I don't know if he was a programmer or software developer or, or something similar and so he had to be sitting at a desk a lot of the time and he was always struggling his back was always hurting him and he would he tried all these ergonomic chairs and people say sit on a bouncy ball or you know do certain stretches or whatever and nothing ever really worked the only thing that worked the, that seemed to work at all was just as long as he kept changing positions and in the end i think he started up a company i think there was something like geek desks or something like that where these desks that you could press a button and it would go up to standing height so that you could i had one of those you had one of those and what you think? I had one of those in, in the UK. I thought it was fantastic. Um, I had it when I was working for Elsevier and uh, it was just great. You, it just had, um, basically it, it was a desk on this kind of, uh, I guess like a winch system. Uh-huh. So the, the two, the two behind the desk was two big poles. Right. And they had like a, I guess like a corkscrew kind of thing. Right. And then the desk would just kind of move, you'd click a button and it would move up and move down. It was like variable height. Right. Right. It was very cool. Yeah, the um, you know, I think in the article, that article, they were talking about. I think there was like some like architecture or design firm or something that they installed a bunch of these desks, and that, you know, whenever like in the morning, people would be tend to be sitting down, but as soon as people started getting into their flow and were really going to start thinking hard and really doing some design work, you start hearing all the desks go up. Yeah, like think people <laughs> could think better when they were standing. I mean, did you feel that was the case with you? Could you think better, more focused? The thing is, essentially. Um I got it. I got given it because I had a bad back, mm-hmm. and because um, you bitch. Stand, huh? And well, standing up for a long time <laughs> when you have a bad back can also hurt your back as well. So I was kind of up and down really all day long to to just try and. Well, how long would you stand in one in one in one so in one session? Maybe a couple of hours. So you would stand for two hours straight and then go down. It wasn't like you were up and down every twenty minutes or something. No, more like yeah, like two hours I'd say. Interesting. And then I'd sit down, but once I started to sit down, I'd forget about the stand up desk. Because <laughs> you right. just, you know, you get kind of, it's more comfortable sitting down in some senses. It'd be kind of interesting if it was sort of like an automated thing, like it would just go up on its own. Yeah. Like, and you had to, and you wouldn't know when. It would take you by surprise. Yeah, just you're up, be like, we're down. Like, we're up. <laughs> it's, like, it's like you're at a Catholic mass or something like that. <laughs> it's up and you're down. You know, it's like, um, uh, 
it reminds me of a, you're, you're, you know when you go to the gym they have these uh, these elliptical machines and yeah. it'll suddenly change the incline on you you know start going oh here we go the incline starts to increase or the speed starts to increase it's probably that yeah. that would be actually probably be more useful because it, like, said, like you said it would sort of force you to go up as opposed to getting sort of set now in the second article about your office chairs killing you I think it was in that article they talk about there are certain desks they have which or maybe they did an experiment with this I'm not sure but where the, the stand-up desk would have like a, a, a slow-moving treadmill below it that you'd be walking while you're working. That would be great. <laughs> <laughs> like that was yeah. to be like the most optimal thing. Like it's one mile an hour treadmill that you're walking. I mean, talk about rats in a maze. <laughs> Bloody hell. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's interesting because there's another article I was reading. I was talking about, um, it was actually called as like his evolution manifesto or basically saying that his, his, his thesis is this, is that whenever you spit in the face of Mother Nature, bad things happen. <laughs> so the uh-huh. further, way, further we get away from the environment in which we evolved and adapted to, so our modern lifestyle of sitting all day, of, uh, you, know, or, you know, whatever, you, you know, all these things that aren't, weren't, weren't the things that happened, you know, 100,000 years ago, 50,000 years ago, a million years ago. It works against our, our nature, and we tend to, and bad things start to happen. Your body doesn't respond well to those. And yeah. Sandy had just read a book. It was called, I think it was called Born to Run, and it was about these ultra marathoners who guys who run like 50 or 100 mile races and i guess there was this big race that was going to be in mexico and there's an indigenous indian population in mexico where these guys will literally run 300 miles at a time and they don't wear shoes Jesus. they don't wear shoes at all <laughs> and uh, one of the things they talked about on the show is how uh, in the book was about how there's a ton of scientific evidence that shows that shoes are actually really bad for you that they actually increase the amount of uh, of of damage to your spine and all these kinds of things that our, our feet evolved to take care of for us. Like you almost can't sprain your ankle when you're barefoot and your body just, you know, takes your, 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 the way your ankles and the way your feet work, it just absorbs a lot of the pressure that when you walk and that all these running shoes that we wear actually tend to cause a lot more damage. And well, we watched, uh, we watched this, um, this film called babies. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard of it. And it basically plots the life of, uh, well, the first couple, the first year of like five babies around the world. And it's got an African baby and it's got um, uh, a Mong- Mongolian baby and a US baby. And the Africans, like they just, as you say, I mean, just completely and utterly pure nature. And um, I mean, the, like they take, take it from the point where the baby's born mm-hmm. and, you know, they give birth to the baby they rub some red mud on it and then that's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then and then they flash to the uh, to the Mongolian and the baby's born and then they just wrap it up in some sheets and carry it outside and put it on top of a motorbike that dad's holding on a motorbike and they take it home. Right. And then they go to, they go to the American baby and it's like hooked up to, you know, incubator and lights and all this kind of stuff and it's it's completely abstracted from the mom and dad. Right. So um but but you just reminded me of the Africans because they're they literally the, the the ground that they were walking on to me it looked you could see that it was painful it was like rocks and different stuff but they had no shoes and you could see their soles were just really really thick right like their soles in their own right were, were shoes yeah yeah well we're us like so even if you're like you know what jason that's a really good idea i'm gonna stop wearing shoes <laughs> No, we couldn't. Even if, you, no even if you could walk down the sidewalk a couple, you know, mile to, you know, grab a bite to eat or something, even if you 
you know, did, could stomach looking like a moron. People were like, what is that guy doing? You know, <laughs> walking around barefoot. You would look really weird. Your feet would probably be blistered and would be killing. Yeah. You. Just, just it walk takes a off. lifetime to build up the, to build up the, the dead cells on the bottom of your feet. But it would probably, after a while, you'd probably, you know, you, like you said, it would build up. You know, I, probably, I don't know if it'd take a lifetime, but it would. Uh, you'd probably start to build up if you started, you know, say, okay, well, I'm going to walk more and more. But it's kind of interesting if you look at, you know, all these other aspects. It's too bad I hadn't finished. I haven't had a chance to finish reading that article about about this. But you know, all these other things that our bodies have adapted to that we're getting away from, and then we go, gee, it's you know, why is it that you know I'm having all these problems? It's like, well, you sit down all day, you wear shoes, you you know, you consume all this high fructose corn syrup, and all these things that we're not probably supposed to be eating, all these chemicals. You don't go to sleep when the when the lights. You know, like we, we, we probably don't sleep enough because we keep a lot, we have all this artificial lighting that keeps us up and we wake up before we're ready to wake up. And I don't know, you can just go on and on about all these things that we do that, you know, probably just really make our lives worse in a lot of ways. Hey, Jace, I think I, I'm going to have to call it a day. Yeah, that's probably fine. All right, that's a wrap. We're out. 